Welcome to Just Business this Friday. Well, my name is Eric Bokai, based in Sweden, but I have a passion for Kenya. I'm the founder of Mango Capital, where we're discussing Kenyan capital markets. And we are really privileged to have two guests here today. I think a few more will join later. It's a bit of an open spaces because we want to collect as many views as possible and perhaps compile them into one single letter and then send it to the capital markets authorities. The motivation for the spaces today is mostly this week, we noticed that the CDSC uh, introduced some levies on CDSC accounts in Kenya. And I think that caused a lot of uproar. Uh, we were up against it because it's mostly means more charges on the retail investor who's already swamped by a lot of levies and fees that we see in the markets. So today we want to break down the markets a little bit and see what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And what can we do to improve? And perhaps just get a better view of how our markets work. And I think one of the reasons why our markets are not working correctly, my uh, hypothesis is mostly because a lot of people are not aware on where they can push in the buttons to, to get the attention of the people in charge to be able to change. And I'm very glad that this week, by pushing the retail investors via Twitter and all these channels, we're able like, to get the CDSC to rescind a key decision that they've made about the markets. Our hope and prayer is that by discussing this, we'll be able like, to open up uh, the retail investors' minds on what exactly can be done to make our markets better because we are really passionate about these markets and we want to make sure that they succeed at the end of the day. I want to introduce our guests today. I see the NSCC. Thank you so much. Really appreciate that he was able to make time for this. So without further ado, I'll start with Tim. Tim is based in Tanzania. Tim, you can maybe tell us a bit about yourself and what you do and what brought you all the way from Australia to Tanzania. Well, thank you very much. Uh, good to be here. And congratulations to yourself and everybody for uh, the activism that we showed this week and getting some results with the rescinding of that proposed fee that, that really gives us encouragement that what we're doing can make a difference. I am, as you said, based in Dar es Salaam. I run a frontier African equity fund, Sub-Saharan Africa Frontiers. I've been doing that for just over 18 months. Prior to coming here, I spent over 25 years in Asia. I lived in South Korea, Hong Kong, the Philippines, Indonesia, working in capital markets. So my background is in sell-side equity research and then boutique investment advisory money management. I grew up all over the world. My parents migrated to Australia when I was 10 and I completed my education in Australia, but I left Australia straight after university 26 years ago and I have not lived there since. So I have a very international background. I was born in Tanzania, although I only lived here as an infant, but I came back here because I see a lot of opportunity. There are risks and challenges, but that comes with the territory. So I'm very much happy to be involved in the development of these markets and investing capital on, on behalf of myself and my investors. So we have over $18 million under management at the moment, and I'm hoping to, to grow that further. We've, we've come a long way since we started. Paying uh, close attention to all these markets and uh, happy to share my insight both to these markets and the places where I've worked before. Great. Uh, really eager to learn of your experiences across this uh, uh, market. I know you also have very good returns this year and I know like you're very passionate about African markets and especially Tanzania and very, very active in that space. So we're really glad to have you. The next person would be Kevin. Kevin, maybe you can introduce yourself to those who don't know you. Thanks, Eric. My name is Kevin Mainangige, popularly known as Kevin Gige. 
I work with Jengi's investment bank, predominantly on the equities and fixed income side. I also spice up their research desk. I've been in the market for 10 years now, having started off with the Jengi's capital. I've gone across the field to equity investment bank, uh, to NCBA, and then back to back home to Jengi's capital. So my interests have spurred across majorly fixed income, corporate finance, equities trading, sell-side risk. I've also been privileged to work in Lagos and, and Tanzania as well. So I think we'll have quite some nice conversations with Tim and also covered stocks across the BRVM region, Morocco and Egypt, and also down south side to the Comesa region. So happy to have an engaging chat with you all. Great. The next person will be Nderi. Nderi, uh, welcome. Thank you, Eric. I've been around for a while in the stock markets. I think I first put in my first trade in 2000 when I was at Sun Trade Investment Bank. Now I work for ABC Capital. I've sort of shifted gears now. I'm in corporate finance and advisory. But having worked in the stock markets for a while now, both on equity and debt, I think I may have some insights I can offer today's discussion. All right. Thank you, Derry. Really nice to know you. I know you cause a lot of rubbish on Twitter with the many tweets. Huh? And now we have the NSC CEO. Maybe you can introduce yourself and say something to the people before we get started. Jeffrey? Thanks a lot. It's a great pleasure to be here. And thank you for inviting the NSC. I think on our part, we just want to, for those who don't know the NSC, we are the market in Kenya, the leading infrastructure in the region, and also a big player in Africa. We're happy to be part of this forum today to basically listen to your views about what we need to improve the market. I know we've done a lot. I'll be able to take and answer the questions you may have at some point, but it really is to get to hear what else you think we can do as then to revitalize the market. I think it's a very nice topic. The market presents a great opportunity for those who are very active on it. You know, the performance we've had, but yes, for all this while, it's been, uh, I have very heavy investment we've made in the market to just make sure that we continue to provide you with access and, uh, the ability to carry out your transactions. So mine would be to just get to be a listener today and just to hear a lot of what the others have to say and maybe project um, as a way required. So back to you, Eric. Great. Thank you. We have four speakers today, so we'll engage with them for the next like 45 minutes. Uh, and if you want to join in the conversation, we have a pinned tweet just below the pinned tweet. You can write your comments, your questions, any things that you have, but also you can DM us directly uh, to the Mongo Capital. After the 45 hour mark, we'll be able to allow a couple of speakers to come on board and ask a few questions, share your thoughts. As we are taking this very seriously, we are taking notes and we'll compile them and try to send them also to the NSC and really glad that the NSC is actually present to hear some of the comments. The focus is just simply like, uh, what's the history of our markets a little bit, where are we and where do we want to be and what can we do to revitalize the market because we're really passionate about all this. So that's a simple guideline. I would aim to be as civil as possible. But secondly, also we want to raise uh, the pertinent issues that we want to really address at the end of the day as, as uh, participants in the markets. But then finally, also we would want to maybe ask if you want to speak, we would give priority especially to people who have real names on their Twitter handles. Just make sure that your handle has a actual name and so that we can be able to know who you are and not just allow anyone to speak tonight. So hopefully we'll have a really, really good time. So I'll get it started I'll do with Kevin. Maybe Kevin, you can give us a little bit of perspective on our capital markets, especially in Kenya, who are the key players in these markets and what are the key organizations that have a role to play in the markets. And maybe after that, Nderi and Geoffrey uh, can add, and then I will go to Tim to give us a Tanzania's perspective. So Kevin, the mic is all yours. 
All right. Thanks, Eric. So let me just to start it plain, simple, assuming no one has ever been uh, to the stock market here is we have the key stakeholders in Kenya, are, of course, the Nairobi Securities Exchange. And I'm glad Geoffrey is here, very good friend of, our, of, of ours. So the Nairobi Securities Exchange has brokers underneath licensed by them on the Capital Markets Authority, who is also an SRO. So the brokers are all listed on the NSC website, the licensed brokers, roughly 18 to 20 or so. Not all of them are actively trading. Uh, you have your broker or your investment bank that puts in trades on your behalf with a system that is hosted the now Nairobi Securities Exchange. You have your CDSC that has been on the news lately, especially this week with the introductory of new levy, the central uh, depository, that's who, those are the custodians, quote unquote, of shares. Like way before we came to the digital era, we had the share certificates and all that stuff. So they've been uh, there for a while. I work with Jengis Capital. So in our space and how we've seen the markets here, especially if you go to the NSC website, if you've been following keenly the markets year to date, you'll notice that we've been on the red. I think just today we're looking at the NSC 20 share index and it's down 20 points, I think to 1680. They all share down to 132. Total turnover, shares traded, market capitalization, everything has been shrinking this week. And Eric, just to confirm, did you want me to just give a structure or just get down to the markets uh, already? We can come to the markets. Just want to get an overview of who the key players are and definitely we okay. come to the performance of the okay. market. So maybe Nderi, can you add a little bit on what Kevin has said about the capital markets structure and who are the key players and anything that Kevin may have missed out on or you want to add on? No, maybe uh, how I do it, you've given you sort of the architecture the key organizations. Let me see if I can if, if I can cover it from the angle of the architecture. First of all, the, the architecture is the way it is because of, of the role of the, the capital markets in the economy. And the primary reason the capital markets exist is because entrepreneurs want funding and investors want to push their money uh, somewhere to earn a return. So uh, the markets are designed in a way that allows that to happen and hopefully the most efficient way possible uh, because remember uh, investors need to be protected and entrepreneurs uh, need uh, low-cost funding. So with that in mind, you have the NAC that sits in the middle and you put the sort of uh, stock brokers to help uh, investors buy and sell shares. And then on the other side, we've got the corporate finance advisors who help entrepreneurs raise funding and, and structure the transactions in a way that protects investors as well. The stock brokers, as Kevin has mentioned, and then you've got a couple of corporate finance advisors who it's their job to, to onboard businesses onto the stock market. And then regulating all this is uh, the CMA. I think I don't want to stop there. See if maybe Jeff can add something. Over to you, Jeff. Maybe you can tell us a little bit what's the distinction between the CMA, NSC, and CDSC in terms of the role they play in the markets. Okay, thank you. So the, the CMA is our primary regulator. They're the ones who license all the uh, players in the ecosystem. So we have the NFC also licensed by the CMA. The CDSC is also licensed by the CMA. So they are the regulatory powers to oversight the market, ensure that fair play market conduct is in order. They then also, the panel approval of missions, they also, they also approve any new products that we want to introduce in the market. So that's their role. So as um, the, the, the role is to really oversight the markets for the regulation, that's where CMA acts. The CDSC is the depository and settlement company. Now their role is to give custody 
of all securities trading in the market. And then they also uh, facilitate the settlement of transactions. So any trades taking place are settled at this by CDSC. That's ideally the role they play. And they also do what they call other services, other support services, like pledging. If you want to get a loan, you have to pledge your shares uh, through the CDSC to the, to the lender. If you want to transfer shares uh, privately, again, the CDSC, they would facilitate that as well. And so they, they have that, they have that role. They're also now offering security lending and borrowing. So if you want to borrow stocks. They have a facility able to offer where you can actually borrow stocks, trade and uh, collateralize it after some time, come back and so, and then we have the brokers who are members of the exchange. They get a membership trading license that entitles them to trade. So you cannot trade directly to the market as, a, as an investor. You have to go through a broker. They've actually through that process tremendously. So you can, it's almost straight through, but through the broking house because of technology, that's the role they play. In the ecosystem, we also have the fund managers who are the ones who manage pension funds. They are regulated by the RBA for pension fund management and CMA for other funds. So they have, they take two licenses. We have custodians who keep down assets for the fund managers uh, in the process. And we also have investment banks, full structure issuances, for instance, an IPO, a rights issue, a corporate uh, bond. They're the ones who prepare the application documents and submit in CMA and ourselves for approval. So, and we have other players like nominated advisors. And then out of that universe, of course, we have other advisors like lawyers, auditors, accountants. So it's a very robust ecosystem, has very good capacity, as the team may have cited here. And we are in the process of improving that even further. Now, what's coming out to just enhance interest from the supply side is we are revising the public offer listing and disclosure regulations. They're not out for public exposure. So we're looking at those regulations and seeing what are the incentives that we need to improve? What are the obstacles we need to, we need to remedy? There's, there's that discussion going on now. And so uh, we call it on investors to have a tough side for those regulations because they'll, they'll help us improve the supply side, which has been the, one of the largest limitations we've had in this market. So um, that idea is structure the markets. We have then have investors who comprise of international, local, and regional, the current distribution is largely skewed to the international market. We then have local institutional and then retail. Now the retail is where we have a lot of work to do uh, to bring back to the market. So that's how the market is structured and we'll be seeing how we can improve it even more. So a quick question, I think something that has come up, especially during this week with the CDSC and NSC, is there a point in time where the two are one and why are they separated in this market specifically? And is that normal in other markets? Well, after 2000, CDSC and NSC were one, one institution. Actually, it was known as the settlements division within the exchange, within the Nairobi Stock Exchange then. But in order to provide independence and also at that, at that time to, I think the discussion then were separating these two entities would, would, would de-risk the business and also would, would strengthen the, the framework of the market. And the CDSC Act came into place and created the CDSC. And at that time, we also had regional aspirations. So we said when we were creating PSC, we, we wanted to have like a regional repository and the shares, uh, went, when it was incorporated, the shares were distributed between the NSC. There was a consortium of investment banks, of, of, of companies that, that also were interested. And also we had some regional exchanges who were invited to participate. So that is how the, the main, the, the structure was. 
And so in the current structure, we have the NSC, the, the fund called Challenge Fund, which is a, a mutual entity of uh, more companies. And then we have the Indiana Stock Exchange who have got a stake in it and also the CMA have a stake in it. So the intent then was to create an independent exchange that if, if we remained at a joint entity then, it would have limited the role for opening it up to invite other players or other exchanges to come and, and work with the CDC then. That was the aspiration then, but uh, what has happened over time, every country, every has decided to set up their own depository. So that regional aspiration did not come but that was really the, the, the purpose then. Thank you. Good question. Then would be, is it time to merge them? I would not be able to sort of provide an answer to that because there's a lot of considerations that are taken into account. I think what is more important is to set up a strong environment that allows for trading to happen highly efficiently and which we've done through having IT infrastructure that speak very well to each other. And so it's not, at, at this point, it's not very easy to say what would be the most desirable. Because also don't forget, we have another depository, which is a central bank of Kenya. That's a separate depository for bonds, so government bonds. So a number of other considerations that I take into account that probably at this point, I can't diverge. All right. Thank you. Tim, what's the experience in Tanzania as regards markets generally, the market structure and the key players there? Is that any different from what you've had in Kenya? It's not all that different, to be honest. The DSE obviously is a lot younger. Tanzania didn't embark on their privatization and, and capital market policies until the 1990s. But the DSE was established in 1996 and got underway. It's much smaller. I think there are in the low twenties listed companies. There are, there are cross listings, some Kenyan companies you're also able to trade here, but the regulatory structure and, and the various different players, very similar. There's the exchange obviously with members, brokers, and investment advisors, custodians, nominated advisors, bond traders, fund managers, all of whom are regulated by the CMSA and then much as you have just been discussing, there is also a CSD, Central Securities Depository here. It is still a fully owned subsidiary of the Dar es Salaam Stock Exchange. It sits within that, but operates independently as a unit of the DSE and the lay of the land is, is really quite similar. So I'm not sure where they lifted their various different policies from, but logically there was probably uh, a lot of regional cooperation on it and exchange in Nairobi has been operating for a lot longer and I'm sure that they borrowed some of the systems and structures that were there. There has been talk over the years of exchanges being integrated and operating in a more on a regional basis, but every time that there's an announcement that things are, are moving in that direction. It seems that it never really quite happened. I think probably an opportunity uh, for consolidation over the years, but obviously there are different interests at play and the countries are very different. I mean, I always find it quite amazing when I make a trip to Kenya from my base here in Dar es Salaam. You know, it's, it's only an hour and five minutes or something to fly and it's like another world in many respects. Hopefully over, over time we can regionally integrate and, and create some synergies. But at the moment, it seems that, uh, as though everyone is operating with very similar structures in parallel that might take over. All right. And if you compare that to your home country, as you say, Australia, how's the market structure there? And what can we learn from what you've seen in East Africa generally? 
Yeah, I have a fairly international background and I was based in Asia many, for many years servicing clients or investing in Asia, but personally, I've also invested in Australia since 1998. Australia is a very advanced market. I think it's the fourth largest pension market in the world and it, it punches well above its weight given that it only has a population of uh, somewhere in the high 20 millions. There's a very successful retirement savings legislation there that was brought in back in the early 1990s, I believe it was, called superannuation, where basically everyone who is in paid employment sets money aside for their retirement from their own salary and also from their employer's contribution. And it's significant. I think it's 8% that you have to put in and uh, the employer even puts in even more. So it, it's a very advanced market and it's obviously very efficient in terms of the major differences that I see between the Australian market and here in East Africa, I was commenting uh, earlier in the week when these proposed CSDR levies came out. In Australia, it's actually the listed companies who bear the burden of these costs. So they have these things called share registries. But there's no one body that keeps track of who owns which shares. There's two different ways that it's done. Either you are in the, what's called the chess system, they have a similar thing in the UK called, gosh, what's it called? Crest, I think it is. So it, it's very similar to the, the CST systems here in East Africa, and it's maintained by the stock exchange and the market participants. And then as a client of a broker, you can sign on to be a member of that system. But if you don't want to be part of that system, you can also be what's called issuer sponsored, which means that there's a, a share registry that's paid for and kept by the uh, listed company itself. And then when you come to sell through a broker, you have to give them what's called a security holder reference number, an SRN, rather than a holder identification in chess. There's competition, if you like, between the various ways of holding securities. And it's at no cost uh, to the investor. Those costs are absorbed by the listed companies themselves. Or I think the brokers and then the stock exchange, you know, absorb those costs sort of chess, which is, it's actually a world leading system. And they're actually in the process of moving it all over onto blockchain, as I would understand it in Australia. It's sort of at the vanguard. It's a big competitive market. Fees are low. Lots of people are interested in the stock market. Nearly everybody who is in paid employment has an interest in the stock market through their retirement plans. So it's a long way further along the development curve, if you like. All right. Thank you. Perhaps what you're going to do now is to reflect a little bit on what's going right and what we can improve on, especially in our capital markets in Nairobi. So I'd want to perhaps start with Kevin. Kevin, maybe you can give us a, a perspective on how our markets are doing, how many listed players and entities do we have in the markets and how's it been over the years? And have we had some boom periods, uh, stuff like that? So maybe you can give us that and there Geoffrey can add also. We were doing fine prior to, of course, the pandemic and uh, everything else, the exogenous factors that have followed ever since. So we have roughly, if you look at the uh, NSE website with the ESA, we have roughly 65 counters. I think that has come down maybe to 62. 
if I'm not mistaken, listed equity counters. As I mentioned earlier, we have roughly 18, maybe to 20. Not everyone is active uh, brokers in there. It's been also a bit tough in terms of just bringing in companies to list on the Nairobi Securities Exchange. I think as of 2019, if I could go that far, our market capitalization was around 22.3 billion USD. And I think if you go further back between 2014 and 2019, we only saw two IPOs. And that one was the Nairobi Securities Exchange itself. And two was the uh, Stanley Bahari, right? Which was valued, I think, roughly at around 42 million USD. We haven't seen, I think as per the CMA master plan, the idea was to bring in around uh, four IPOs. We haven't seen that. And Jeff will, will maybe uh, speak or attest to that. And I think since between 2014 and now, I think the only other thing we could have seen, in addition to the two I've mentioned, would have been the homeboys, the homeboys one as well. The markets have have, have really shrunk, as I mentioned earlier, and the indices, we are down to 130 on the all share. We are down to 1680s on the uh, NSC 20. Those are our two prime indices in terms of market capitalization, in terms of uh, shares traded, volume, turnover. Uh, all the indicators are down. I was just looking at uh, things up this evening and we saw uh, it down to 27.80s level. It is on Tuesday, I was in the office and it was at 30. So you can tell the speed at which Safaricom is coming down. And I was just telling someone, Safaricom is, I think, almost 56%. Of, of our market capitalization by itself. And as such, if it goes down, it drags everything else down with it. We've just seen today the books closure of Equity Bank. So you can anticipate there will be some further uh, downswings on Monday when we come post div. It's been a tough for, for the market in terms also on the, on the debt side. Of course, the debt side has predominantly been uh, a government debt. Where there's been a slowdown as well, same as with their peers on the IPOs, there's been a slowdown on the corporate debt side as well. There've been some changes though, and I think some of the things and to the discussion today was what are some of the things we can do to just spice things up in the Nairobi Securities Exchange. With all stakeholders in mind, I think if you look at the Retirement Benefits Authority, for instance, they have a maximum allocation of around, I think it's 10% that can go to private equity. But if you look at it as of 2018, I think only 0.04% was going on to that sector. So that tells you that there's potential and things can be done. It's just that things are not being done. Come November last year, I think we saw one of the newest inventions by the NSC, and that was uh, days trading. We now have CDSC, I think, piloting the SLB, that's securities lending and, and buying. Some brokers have already been uh, signed up as agents by the CDSC to partake that. We're here to see how that goes and maybe uh, Jeff will also speak as to, I think I can, as he was saying a while back, I think it was a month or two ago that day trading was contributing around 5% of the average turnover. Is here to speak to that. So th there's a lot that uh, simply can be done. We've seen, of course, the derivative side. I think on average, we talk around 300,000, 400,000 uh, shillings weekly volume or daily volume. It, it's not much. Of course, that we only have the uh, indices and single stock features on Safaricom, Equity, KCB, ABL, BAT, ABSA, NCBA Corp, etc. So not everything, again, is under the, the futures market. I have no idea why we haven't really started. Maybe one of the ideas is also to start the options just as a hedge against uh, the spot. I don't know if such talks exist and where they might have reached. Again, maybe Jeff could talk about that. Uh, he mentioned something that I've always been asked by, by clients in terms of, can we have uh, direct market access? Maybe Jeff will also uh, speak on that in terms of where are we with DMA. But as we stand now, a client, or even if they're placing an order by themselves, it needs to pass through the broker's infrastructure to go to the exchange. 
So there's still that you cannot bypass your broker to go directly to the exchange. We still don't have that DMA, the direct market access. I don't know talks on that, how far we've got, but I think it's about time we disrupt ourselves, even as a broker, and I'm speaking, uh, coming from a brokerage or investment housing background. So it, it's been a tough time, of course, came the pandemic, post that, of course, we had the Russia invasion of Ukraine that really hurt our markets. We saw com some capital flights. We are now talking three months shy to an election. We've seen foreign participation come uh, down from highs of 80, 86% to now. We are talking about 53% as of April. It's been a tough, tough time. Of course, on the MSCI index, someone was asking me why then Safaricom, despite solid numbers and solid grounding around <clears throat> around Kenya and East Africa in terms of the super app, why is it still losing as much? And I was telling them from a client uh, perspective seated in Miami and looking at the MSCI Frontier 100, specifically on the telco, the one stock that just blinks up on your screen would be Safaricom. And then, of course, with an election that is hotly contested, you know, there's no clear favorites. So the change in policy or shift in policy could go either direction. That uncertainty is something that investors really don't like. We could continue to see this shrink for the next odd three months, God willing. And, and my challenge to Jeff is maybe just talk to us about, of course, day trading and how much it has contributed to that. Because the IPO drought, we've only think four since 2014 that we've seen DMA in terms of direct market access, in terms of reducing fees. We've discussed a couple of times about training and about how to bring in. If I give an example of a market like Pakistan, uh, Pakistan has 92%, last I checked as of 2019, had 92% local participation in their markets. So whenever they have these exogenous facts and there's a capital flight from their markets, they're not really hurt as a, what would experience here in Kenya. So here we have 53% foreign driven. Then you have a bulk of maybe 40%, which is institutional, who mostly copy and paste what their foreign peers are doing. Then you have an odd between 4 and 8% that are local. We saw the numbers from CDSC there, 1.6 million total accounts. Out of that, 1.175 million are dormant, uh, 475,000 that are not dormant, but have not yet traded in Q1 and only around 57,000 accounts that actually actively traded in Q1. I mean, that's a paltry 3.4% of the total 1.675 million accounts. So these numbers are worrying. I was surprised that CDSC would then go to an extent of imposing a levy instead of just looking for other ways to just spice up and bring up these accounts to life. Again, Dundo, maybe Mr. Dundo can speak, them being a, a huge shareholder of CDC as to what informed maybe this thinking. Eric? Many, many points that you've raised. Let me try and speak to what I can remember. Then there are any gaps you'll tell me. Let me put it in context. It has not been all bad. Let me start by saying that. Let me give you some numbers. And I think Eric must be having some very serious data sheets. Kevin must be having some very serious data Last year, we had the highest market cap of, in the equity markets, $2.93 billion, equivalent of about 2.93 trillion shillings. So let's just use assume a shilling was at 100 at that time. That's the highest market cap in the history of the NFC. That's the valuation. That's, that's, the, that's the market capitalization that we attained last year. I think it was somewhere around September. So you can see how that, that the markets were very robust then. I mean, you're talking about Safaricom. Safaricom was hitting 50. If you go to the bond market, the bond market's market cap was 3.32 trillion shillings. Again, very, very high, high channel. The highest again. Last year, we had 956 billion turnover in the bond market. Again, the highest in its history. So the markets are, are going through a normal 
click experience. There's nothing fundamentally wrong with this market at all. At all. I mean, look at markets world over. Last two weeks ago, we had a, the, the market's downturn in the US. Inflation is rising. Our market is a member of the MSCI Frontier Market Index. We're not insulated from that. That is, that is an effect that affects all markets who are accessing global capital. We are going through a normal cyclic period. Albeit the fact that we have an election, which somebody could say has sort of led a bit more uncertainty to the market. But is it the first time we're doing this? No. Every five years we have an election and the markets go through these cycles. So I'll disagree with Kevin that the market has a fundamental issue. There is no fundamental issue. The Nairobi Securities Exchange today is the second market in Africa with the most diverse product offering. Seven different asset classes and all contributing a revenue. You would call it small, but it's a revenue stream. Many of the products are not idle. ETFs. We have a gold ETF in our markets. Again, since COVID, the issuance price was 1250 now it's in high 2000s. Trading. Real estate investment trust. It's trading. We have done another platform for the USP, again, for the real estate investment trust. Bond market last year. We issued three new bonds, corporate bonds. We raised a total of 18 billion shillings in this market. And the subscriptions, the subscriptions were in excess of 50 billion. So what are we saying that the market is not functional? It's functional. It's attractive. It's raising money. This year alone, I've done another bond, Kenya Mortgage Refinance Company, 1.4 billion. Total capital raised 8 billion. So the market is functioning. And we have got a pipeline, a very strong one. The way he has just started, we just cleared Q1. Q1 and we had emissions. We also brought in Bank of Kigali three years ago, a cross-listing that issued shares into the market afresh. So it was like a, technically an IPO. We have rights issues that have come to the market. Crown budget raised 781 million. So where is Kevin getting his data from? It's totally not correct. Let's look at the facts. So the market is functional. We are able to trade our, our products. We're getting clients accessing the products. And that's good. I mean, you can cite Pakistan 92% retail. Is that the market we want? No. We want a equitable structure. We want a market that is the balance of local and institutional. Institutional drive valuation and institutional also drive liquidity. So if you leave your market purely retail, you'll have a very thin market, a very, very thin market. So we're happy with the structure. We've got a lot of work to do to improve retail so that the retail can become a larger portion of the local pool. But you can't say that you don't want this. Those markets are struggling with the retail. I was in Shenzhen, 300 million customers. They've been asking me, how are you doing institutional? We want to see more institutional flow. So we've got to strike a balance. That's what's positioned us to be an attractive market in, in the world. I mean, and to be members, members of MFBI to attract project market funding, we must have certain level of liquidity. Our turnover ratio last year was 5%. We are targeting with day trading to push it to 7.5%. Total turnover day trading last year was 3% of, of, of turnover in just two months. So I'm putting the point that the markets are functional. Our asset classes are, are performing. We albeit a bit low because of the uncertainties of global inflation and the elections and all this, but these markets tend to recover post-elections. And I'd want to, I'd want somebody to hold me and because I'm very positive 
the markets are going to recover post-election because fundamentally our markets are attractive. Our companies are functioning. Look at the yields. Look at the, the percentage growth we saw across all the companies this, this uh, last year's performance. They've been extremely attractive. We have a world-class market in Africa. We are really highly recognized as a very innovative exchange. Given the things we're doing, we have we've got so many innovative products we're doing. And even as we, we are members of the World Federation of Exchanges. Now, let me tell you, Eric, we also had the first green bond from the private sector in Africa. To speak about sustainable financing, we had a trailblazers when it comes to green bonds. So we are ticking all the boxes. We are ticking all the boxes. The IPO drought, I know is a perennial issue, but don't forget that we are still listing other asset classes. So we are there. We're working on the IPOs. We've never stopped our efforts. We are very visible. We're doing engagements with various issuers. And we've even built an, an, an Ibuka platform to accelerate SME entry into the market. So all these eh, cannot be discounted <laughs> and say that that's what IPO is not the only thing we do. We do a lot more. We are doing a lot more. Look at the performance of the exchange last year. We were profitable, extremely profitable. So I'm putting the point, Eric, uh, that um, nothing is fundamental on this market. It's a low period because of certain what's happening, a lot of factors, but the markets are fundamentally strong. Now, speaking on the fees, I know the whole debate about fees, we must agree. And that's the beauty about Kenya is that there's discourse in any issue. I mean, right now we're having very good discourse about politics and very, very freely to do that. Well, one of the things that we are saying as a market, the CDSC had an interest to see how they can continue financing their business offer, possibly more in-depth consultation was necessary at that time. And that's why they pulled it back. But it's because of the, of the good, of the discourse we have, we listen to our, our customers. We don't ignore and, and just enforce things there. So I think it was as good as we have in the country and it allows us to, to change the vision. And really, it's sort of a wise man who doesn't change his decision. So we should not also be too hard for that direction. So what I'm trying to say, uh, Eric, is that, and maybe if I forgot about something, you could raise it, is that our markets are strong, performing well. The data is there to prove that uh, issuances have happened in other, in certain asset classes. And we are open for business, really. We, 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 we're seeing all these investors works talking to us and they came to come to the market. So I'll probably pause there, but just in case I left anything you could ask. Thank you. All right. Uh, so a couple of questions. So number one was about the issue of uh, comparing a lot to the African exchanges. Some of the exchanges across Africa, when I look at some of the data, there have been more listings in some of these uh, other markets. So I think when industry participants are worried about the pipeline. So we'd want to see like what exactly is in this pipeline and what has taken so long in terms of some of these companies coming to the markets at the end of the day. And secondly, some of, one of the things that also investors have been worried about this week was while in other markets, we see like a decline in the costs, especially for trade, like the CDSC this week is, uh, was looking to increase those kind of fees at the end of the day. And what you've seen at least in the markets, and I'll share this chart with you is that where you decrease uh, fees, what you see is a spike in volume that actually more than compensates for the, the decline in terms of cost at the end of the day. So I wanted to ask what exactly is the NSC and the capital market participants doing in that regard in terms of reducing that cost? And especially when you have day trading, where trading two ways in a single day can actually eat up into the margins that you have in the declining markets. So I think that's a question that I wanted to ask. And Kevin seems to have a point uh, that you wanted to ask. 
Yes. And I think my good friend, Mr. Dundo, probably misquoted me. I didn't say there's something fundamentally wrong with our markets. If there was something fundamentally wrong with our markets, I wouldn't be in the markets right now. My concern, and of course, I, I agree to his point that some of these shocks, and that's why I mentioned earlier, some of these shocks that we're experiencing have been exogenous, you know, supply chains, foreign invasions in the Ukraine. Of course, we have now an election. It's cyclical every five years. There's nothing we can do about it. We've seen what markets has done. My point is not to attack. My point is what can we do wholesomely, collectively as the stakeholders in this market? I've had him uh, talk about fees and I think your question again right now will be about the fees. Of course, especially on day trading. We've looked at data. Jeff is, holds this data and maybe is in a better position to tell us more about it. In terms of over the last, say, three to five year period, the volatility that we've witnessed, on, if you look at, at a daily average, has it been sufficient with the fees that we have right now, despite having a 5% discount? Have those fees, if you're going to do a full leg, that's a buy and sell. Uh, will those fees, has, has the volatility rather been sufficient, inclusive of the fees for any investor to make anything significant? And the question of fees, I have a chart here that shows like at least in the U.S. markets, when you reduce fees, there is a spike in volume that is actually more than compensates for the reduction in fees. So I, I understand also that you reduced the fees one way in the leg in terms of helping out the day trading. How about also reducing it both ways and maybe testing it for a product like day trading and seeing if there's actually a spike in volume and then maybe we can replicate it across the market because costs as they are currently, I, I listed them a, a while back. So when you're making a, one leg of a transaction, you have the brokerage commissions, you have the CDSC transaction levy, you have the CMA transaction levy, you have the NSC transaction levy, you have the CD, CMA guarantee fund fee. You have the CDSC guarantee fund fee and you have the KRA corporate stamp duty. So for a trade that we made of around 1450 or 40, you already have like some fees added on top of that to make your trade a bit more expensive. To do this two-way in a market where the stocks are not rising very significantly, then you end up even more in the red as a trader. So of course, the NSC and the CMA and the CDSC are making uh, money from all these trades. Is there a way in which you can cut on some of these costs? People are a bit more motivated to make more trades at the end of the day. Is it something that you want to try or at least willing to try? And I think the aim of this space is mostly to give ideas that possibly we could try out and then see if this works in our markets and how we can be able like to spark activity. Uh, so Kevin talked about 4% of the trades being from retail. So I think that's really small and we need to encourage a bit more of that retail trading. And that comes also from at least giving some incentives in that, in that regard. So perhaps for the retail investor, you could try and uh, reduce that. So is it something that you would likely consider? We're happy to look at the data, to be honest. This is a new product. And if there's anything that uh, we're looking for is volume. As I told you earlier, NSC, we made a move to reduce that by 5%. And we're really keen on looking at that data. If, if it helps us to spike the market, we'd be happy to look at it, to be honest. Um, we want to make day trading very, very successful. And so listening to what the market is asking us as well, we'll, we'll be keen to look at that. Right. Kevin, you have something? Still on fees, uh, maybe Mr. Jeff, the one thing that has been on investors' mind this week and has really boggled us all has been the CDSE levy that was being introduced for accounts. Now, NSE has a seat 
on the CDSC board. I think, Mr. Odindo, you do sit on the CDSC board. So my question was, with the introduction of this bill, and we've had Mr. Mubesa, the chief executive, speak about some fees being legislative and some non-legislative, and that this uh, bill was one of the fees that was non-legislative and as such, there was no need for public participation. So my question is, is mainly to understand that if it was this fee about approval or is it a one-man show with CDSC? Because honestly, yes, CMA and, and NSE are going the right way by giving incentives, albeit not it not being much of 5%. But then how do we go contra intuitive again, counteractively with CDSC increasing these fees for an already shrinking uh, population of retail investors? I'd really want to understand the thinking behind that fee. Well, I think it's not fair for me to disclose board discussions in a forum like this. But unfortunately, Kevin, I'll be able to answer that question. All right. But then in general, about the perspectives of reduction in fees, perhaps, as you said, it's something that you're willing to try, but could we also like get a time frame within which maybe you can try out something like this that the market can also see like there is some actions being done in terms of trying to spur market activity. Eric, this is not a new discussion. There's actually, it's a matter that's deliberated at every board meeting and you should be seeing some further developments in a very short while. All right. I think one of the questions I see here is about that if the commissions are about 0.36% per side, that's 0.70% on both sides of trade. So I think it's a bit too high in that regard. So we need to encourage people to trade a bit more. I see Kevin has more, but I want to move to Derry a little bit. Yes, I to add. Quite a good friend of mine and we've had these discussions with him a couple of times. Maybe Mr. Jeff, one more thing that I think we had on our prior discussion and has not actually been actioned to date has been just how to make the NSE and its services more ergonometric to the investor in terms of one, there's the NSE website that has really grown and has become somewhat ergonometric to the investor, but we have seen mismatch in terms of sometimes companies are list their results or we have this announcement, but on the NSE's website, the listed companies on the announcements page, it, you'll find that it's blank. That's number one. We've also discussed issues surrounding an investor calendar. I don't know what, what progress we have with that. I remember we discussed it with you, I think sometime last year or early this year, either in November or January to February there. So that's another thing that investors maybe would want to hear about just to compare ourselves to our peers. And finally, uh, has been on NSE trainings. We've seen a couple of times when NSEs is reaching out to train people just to try and bring more and more people to the capital markets. But I don't understand the reasoning uh, behind charging them upfront as opposed maybe to just bringing in the masses and benefiting on the long term, maybe just playing a long term ball. And you're the expert in this, maybe you can enlighten us. And perhaps in that regard then, when are we seeing some free seminars, perhaps from the NSC or for the retail investor? And if it's about the earnings calendar, I think I remember asking this question again six months ago. I think a very good precedence that you can easily set, we at Mongo Capital do this a lot. So we compile data, mostly actually from the NSC itself, compile on AGM and compile on when companies have reported specifically when they send out to you. We appreciate that the, the NSC actually sends out some, most of the emails, especially from companies when they're reporting, but it will be really, really easy for the NSC to actually ask companies, hey, when do you expect to report so that we can put it on our calendar? And yes, it's okay to change the dates, but at least we have a specific date when we expect uh, from you the results. I think it, it's a simple thing where it really helps uh, so that investors can track some of these companies' earnings very closely and know like at least uh, in next week we expect Safaricom. And Safaricom, I think, and uh, I think Centum and a few others have been very, very good at this. They, in case you're doing their, their, their fast, their, their reports for the 
And year 2021, they gave us a calendar for the year. They told us on May 26, you can expect our earnings for Q1. That kind of expectation is very easy to be driven uh, by the NSC specifically. And perhaps it could start with you guys. Uh, I'm sure that board meetings are prepared way in advance. You sit at the CMA, CTSC and all these boards. I'm sure that you know uh, like two months in advance there will be a meeting. So I think it's sort of possible for investors to sort of get that feeling of, okay, in two months, we expect maybe Bamburi or some of these companies to report. So it is something that we also expect from the NSC to be driving actively for on behalf of the investors. I think it's an improvement we'll do on the calendar. I think that is uh, a good ask and we'll, we can co that. That's a very, very good ask. We currently provide the earnings, the schedule of announced earnings that appears on our daily price lists, I think on the website, but I think the forward earnings schedule is something we'll be able to to consider very, very, very good, good, good feedback on that. On the issue of, of the website and, and, and having the results posted, we do this uh, real time, but allow me to check where the gaps are so that we'll be able to improve on that as well. We did a total revamp of our website and thanks, Kevin, you've noted that uh, it's now more interactive and that was the plan and maybe just uh, an improvement and my colleagues are on the line who will be able to take that up. On trainings, Kevin, yes, we do, we do have trainings. We have schedule classes. We have various courses we offer the Digital Academy. We also have open trainings where we do invite investors to come in and, and land on some products. We did a lot of webinars during COVID and we've just gone back to full-time training, but I think we can do more, especially targeted towards retail. So that I also admit we're going to improve on it and see if we can be able to provide more financial education. We do have a lot of content as far as the basics of the markets on the website and we can be able to increase that. So, so that's a, a good feedback and we'll, we'll, we'll see how we can find on the, on the trading aspect, I wanted to double click on that a little. It's charged and some of the fees are a bit steep for the retail investor. It actually feels more costlier than paying the account maintenance fee for the investor every year. Is there a possibility that some of these trainings can be made for free for the investors, especially for the beginner level courses? Let me take that as feedback. As you know, this discussion today is about how can we improve. So these are, these are points I'm taking down. All right, Nderi, over to you. Thank, thanks, Eric. Sometimes I feel we have laid too much on the door, Jeff, especially some issues. I wonder what you can do about them because, for example, I think the biggest proportion is the broker. I don't know how much power Jeff has to tell his <coughs> brokers to lower uh, fees. But anyway, the, I, I'm sure that's a conversation that can be had. Let me try to speak on two levels. Number one, as an advisor to issuers, and I think my experience with both NSE and CMA, Jeff and Tim, and Shami and Tim has been generally positive. We have gotten very good support for the transactions that we've brought and, and they've been successful. And I think both as a nomad and as a TA, we don't have much to complain. We are also very happy with the efforts around the issuers, regulations that have been published for discussions, the drafts. There's a lot of positive stuff in there. Speaking uh, for entrepreneurs, you know, the people who've had a voice today is just retail investors, but speaking on behalf of entrepreneurs, I can see a quite bright future because now I think SMEs will be able to access the market, both from debt and equity perspectives. I know there's been discussions around quality of issues, but for me, I, I look at it as a party, the more the merrier. Let, let the investors choose what they like and what they don't like and every Jane find his journey in the marketplace. Now. But I, I do have a worry with regards to the markets on, for two reasons, and, and these are macroeconomic issues. Number one, I, I also track 
the amount of savings in the economy. And I think we are going in for hard times. You can tell from the distress we are all seeing, or I think I am seeing from the government side, levels of savings as well is, is quite low. In fact, our levels of savings don't even cover rate of depreciation, which means we will need uh, a lot of foreigners coming in to, to plug in the homes. Otherwise, we will see a drop in productivity because um, we will not be able to sustain the quality of our assets, so to speak. So uh, I, I think that there's a concern here that, that needs to be addressed. Jeff, you do have a role in speaking for investors, portfolio FDI, which can help support the markets and the economy. But in a scenario where we are seeing rising interest rates, I don't know how much we can do about that. Those two issues, the macroeconomics and the low savings rates for me, I think should bear some of the blame for the low asset prices that we're seeing in the market. Thanks. Tim, do you have pointers to add here now from your perspective? Well, I mean, I was alluding to the fact earlier that if you think it's bad in Kenya, it's actually even worse here in terms of the fees and charges that small investors face, unfortunately. One of the differences is that here they also charge 18% value-added tax on the brokerage. So I just looked at my own records and I sold a small parcel of shares during the week on my personal account, about 1500 US dollars worth, a small sort of trade that an individual uh, retail investor might be making here. And I paid 2.38% one, which I think even with all of the various add-on charges that you have in Kenya, brokerage is, is the least of your concerns. I think uh, the brokerage uh, is probably lower than all of the various other charges that, that get added, but it's still somewhat better than here. So. I think there's a long way to go before we get to the point where retail investors can trade without worrying about that eating into their, their profits. But it is what it is. The other thing that I, I just wanted to raise briefly as well, which is related, although not directly on point, is that in a lot of other markets, you're also able to transfer the ownership of listed company securities off market. In other words, you fill out a form, you nominate the person that you want to transfer them to, you write their name, you sign it, you stamp it, whatever it is that's required, and then the shares will transfer from your CDS account or whatever the equivalent is in, in another country to theirs. And there's no charge. There might be a stamp duty in certain countries, but in most countries, there's no charge at all. In East Africa, and I believe elsewhere in Africa too, that's totally impossible. The exchanges all have a monopoly on the transfer of shares that are listed. So every listed company transaction that involves a transfer of shares has to go through the exchange. Even big block trades, like there were two famous examples here in Tanzania in recent years where Vodacom in South Africa bought back a huge chunk of uh, Vodacom Tanzania from one of the fellows that owned it and it had to go through the exchange. The other one was a transfer of ownership of a 34% stake in NMB Bank that was held formerly by Rabobank out of the Netherlands. And they were transferring it to a foundation in which they are a participant. And then the Dutch and Norwegian uh, government uh, aid agencies are participants. The Arise Foundation, which also has a stake in Equity Bank in Kenya, I'm sure you're all familiar with. So these kinds of things are, are further inefficiencies that could be improved on. They're great for the exchanges and, you know, good luck to the exchanges if they can get that kind of cushy deal. And I have been a share 
shareholder in the Dar es Salaam Stock Exchange as well. And I have thought about being a shareholder in the Nairobi Exchange, but they're monopoly businesses and they have very cushy circumstances. And I, I think the answer is competition at the end of the day. If you want prices to come down, you need competition and force them to provide a better service than the competition. And if, if they do, then customers will stick with them. That would be my answer to the, the issue if, if I were a regulator or a politician, but I'm not. So there you go. On this point regarding transfer of ownership in Kenya, we do have that ability for you to, try to do private transfers as long as there's no change in beneficial ownership. So that's what the private transfers are allowed. Yeah, but the, the whole point, sir, is the, the transfer between beneficial owners. There's also an exception here in Tanzania, which is uh, in the event of an estate. So you can transfer to your heirs, but that's it. In every other country in the world, outside of Africa, if I want to sell shares to my brother-in-law, that's fine. I do it in an off-market transfer and there's no fees involved. So that was the point I was making. I get it. Okay. I get it. Thank you. All right, we have two speakers here, Ruben and George, and perhaps you have some questions or comments uh, on the topic. I would start with George. Cool. Mine is very simple. As you know, I do a lot of retail bond trading. It's actually really hard. I, I don't know if anyone here has ever done a retail bond trade. It's actually hard. You take probably close to a week, one and a half weeks to actualize the trade till settlement. So. Is there a way we can make it a bit easier? I, I know, I know one of the biggest uh, challenges is uh, on the CBK side because they are the custodian. So it's hard because they have to give you an order number and all that. But is there a way the NSC can come in and maybe rope in CBK and make it a bit easier? Because doing a retail bond trade is really hard. Yes. Kevin, you speak after Ruben. Thanks, Eric. I hope I'm uh, audible enough. Okay. Jeff, you mentioned uh, you mentioned around the turnover of equities on the NSC as a percentage of market cap being five percent, and you rightly mentioned before we are not trying to be you know like Bangladesh, and we needed like a fair mix of one turnover, but also like retail versus institutional investors. I was just interested in what markets in Africa you most likely want to benchmark against as far as the equity turnovers percentage of market capitalization looks like. And I think over and above that ratio, I think it's also important to think about what our market capitalization on the NSC is as a percentage of GDP, just to have, you know, a fuller picture of what the stock market represents in terms of the overall economy. Because if I look at 2021, numbers. So Kenya, our turnover is 5% of market cap and our market cap is around 25% of GDP. But also we have markets in Africa, like where Morocco, for example, where the market cap is 63% of GDP, turnover is still high at 7.5. South Africa doing 4X, which is like 427% of GDP doing equity turnover 26%. And many other examples of other markets which are performing us in terms of market cap and also turnover. So I would like to hear your perspective on that so that at least we know, even from your perspective, what markets you prefer to benchmark with, if not Bangladesh. Thanks. Thank you. Uh, I, I like those last two questions. Very good questions. Yes, we normally track a ratio of women 1B as a percentage of GDP. As you know, we, we really have to, we mirror most of the company. So the sectors in the economy, our plan under the master plan, 
I think we were targeting to be 50% of GDP by 2023. And that was premised on the fact that we'll be able to grow the growth of listings. But I think as we are moving along, the new, our internal strategy plan is looking at almost just about 40% of GDP. That's what we aspire to be by the end of 2024. That's the target we have. In terms of turnover ratio, we are looking at, the numbers correct me, we're looking at about 10% of market cap. This year we are targeting seven and a half. And so progressively we're looking at how we can proceed along. That's how we're looking at it. All right. There's a really nice discussion going on driven by Ramanyang and Dande in the comments section about the corporate bond market, uh, which has been a bit challenged for a while. I'll try to find if there's some questions, but also I think Rama also agrees with Nair's outlook on the pain to come that there are very many uh, data points are actually flashing red and some of the data is coming from the agricultural side. So they, it looks pretty grim in terms of general outlook of the economy. And we know the economy ultimately will affect the stock market. Kevin, seems you have more questions to ask. Kevin? I wanted to respond, thank you, to George in terms of retail bonds. But again, to be fair, he addressed the questions to Jeff and maybe Jeff forgot to mention on that. Maybe can speak to that and then I can add something from a broker's or an investment bank's perspective. Yeah. All right. Retail bonds, again, I think the challenge at the moment is to do with the fast account opening process, which I think is being addressed now, possibly once certain missions are done, that should be a bit more easier. But I think also the issue of the size of the trades. Normally, this market trades huge amounts and, and at some point, anything's lower than some, some levels considered like an odd lot. And I think what's going to help us, even as we look forward, is how can we get in uh, market makers into this market who can then be able to provide two-way pricing opportunity for investors to come in and be able to aggregate this position. I think that's what we're going to be looking at. Uh, we're trying to get market makers in most of our products and that, that should be able to help. But I think this possibly is a good question for the brokers to address because from our side, in terms of infrastructure, it is able to trade lots of any of more sizes. So that shouldn't be a pediment. Maybe Kevin can step in now. Thanks, Jeff. And I do agree with you. I think the issue judge with retail bonds from a trading perspective is not really to do with the stakeholders. NSU really doesn't come in here until the end point, which is the point of trade. And to Jeff's point again is when trading retail odds, they're almost really secluded. Whether you're trading a 10 million or 5 million or 20 million, it's really an odd lot if you look at the ticket sizes that we trade in the bonds market. So one of the issues that has been is just sending the empties, the swift codes. So if you look at a bank equity trading with, with quickly send a swift code confirmation to sell, the others will send an intention to buy uh, what you call the MTs. That will be done simultaneously, maybe a day before or that on the trading day early in the morning. So really is compounded by the central bank and that's where the, most of the issues come in. So we as at the CDA or the, or, the, or, the, or the representative of the client has to come in and just send uh, these codes to the central bank. If central bank by any chance try and reach the client and the client is unreachable, again, this process almost restarts again. And I understand your pain that it's a hell uh, to trade corporate bonds. Then again, on the liquidity side, again, just to agree with Jeff uh, or to second what Jeff has said is, I think it's about time the market is rich for, to have a, 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 a market maker. Because most of the times you'll find, especially if you look at clients who bought, I think it was a 30 year uh, bond, the SDP, I'm not too sure on the tenure, and they were really caught out. and. You almost have to go back to the CBK to sell it, who will almost penalize you 7.5% just to go back to them. So I think, yes, one, it's time the market is ripe for a market maker. Two, I think the CBK as the main stakeholder of bond trading really needs to simplify the process from account opening. It needs to be digital. We are a place now we need to open it digitally. 
Right now, you can't open a CDS until you take your mandate card to central bank uh, so that they can verify it by looking at you physically. Uh, it really beats uh, the purpose. So, and of course, also in terms of SWIFTs and how they engage the client, I think all this process, if only CBK digitizes their processes, then I think also the retail segment of trading would also be simplified. Eric. All right. Thank you. Um, Let me say something about that. If you look at the bond price list for like even the last week, most of the trades are less than 50 million. So there's an uptick of people who are doing smaller lot sizes. So a million, two million, ten, Mike. The issue is the turnaround time, right? So if I'm a small trader and I don't have a custodial account, it will take me ages to fill the grief. Yes, I know it's a CBK issue, but then can the NEC come in and tell them that this can be made easier? We need a way to make this easier because I can give you an example. I have a client who's maybe in Kisumu. I need to get the green forms to them. They fill them. They probably uh, send them with the shuttle and all that. So can we get an easier way to avail the bonds so that they can be tradable? Because uh, retail trading has been really picked up. Yeah, and a lot of work is going on behind the scenes about conditions about to address retail and make retail trading a lot easier. Again, this is a matter that we're working closely with CBK and we should be able to be giving out some progress at some point. But the whole essence of enhancing CBK platform is to provide very, very easy access for investors to all open accounts and to trade. That's that's really the, the plan. We set up a small WhatsApp group and raised a couple of points which I wanted to highlight and maybe get a response from you about them. So one of them is about removing the odd lot purchase requirements. It, it, it feels like every time you have to purchase, you have to purchase them in terms of odd lots. I'm wondering, is there a plan to get rid of these odd lots? Because it restricts in terms of if you have some free money, you have to wait until you have the odd lots to be able to trade at the end of the day. Is there a plan to remove some of these odd loss restrictions for the retail investor? I think that the board has a role. That you don't want to preclude anybody from trading. What, what I'm even seeing now that the patients coming through, I'm seeing discussions around fractional trading and opportunities for to buy small lots from such players. And, and that's going to be the new revolution in my view around how to then take a, rethink the outlook board once you start seeing that happen. So yeah, let me just say this is good feedback. Again, you can look at it. At this point, I can't give you any exact answer. Yeah, but we'd want a bit more concrete responses to some of the questions, especially like the the odd lots issue is there a consideration of looking at it in terms of it's being restrictive in terms of someone wanting to buy shares which are not in the odd lots is there a plan in the near term to at least address this and do you see it actually as a problem okay a lot of these uh, needs are assessed out on as regularly as we can looking at how we can improve the market infrastructure and, and really where the where the where the pain points are and as I said, we do review all these at, at any point in time. And this is, again, as you said, if you can share that feedback, I'll be able to come back to you with some direction on it. I'm really hoping that this, as you say, you're coming back, you'll really come back. The NEC is very responsive. I don't know where the doubt is coming from. We, we are a very uh, responsive organization. So get back to you. Especially, uh, I think one of the, the two easy ones is one is the earnings calendar. I, I want to see the NSE itself issue an earnings calendar, at least from this financial year. I'm really looking forward to that. One of the other things that you're also seeing uh, a lot, which is present in the market and which was one of the issues that you raised, by the way, I should say 
top issue that was raised in the small group was about uh, slashing transaction costs, actually slashing them, not just reducing here and there, like the way you said, like you reduce one way or not the other way. So I think that was very important to some of the retail investors that you've talked to. So secondly, it was about removing the odd lots requirement in purchases. So to, to facilitate people making, and like, if I have so many left, I should just be able to buy the number of shares that I can be able to. I don't have to wait to assemble a hundred shares. You can actually buy one or two shares at the end of the day. So I think that's very important. The third thing that they talked about is that it require and encourage companies to have an earnings calendar and hold earnings call conferences to engage with analysts and shareholders. There's several companies, uh, if you go below like the top 10 or top 15, they don't have an earnings calendar, most of them. Secondly, they don't hold conferences or at least places where people can ask questions. I see a couple of them trying, but many companies at the NSE don't hold an earnings call, so they only release results in the, in the paper. So if you really want to have an informed investor base beyond just them knowing about the five top companies, we should have as many of these companies as possible reporting. So, and a very easy suggestion of that would be hold one day. Perhaps the NSE itself holds a single day where they invite some of these companies who have never talked to investors to come and talk to investors just maybe one hour each some of these companies a day uh, afternoon morning it can really be helpful to some of these companies to facilitate them to have an earnings calendar do you hold earnings gold conferences for analysts and investors yourself NSE? we do that eric we do that very regularly we even do market briefs we've got a, a platform called the barometer which we made some announcements recently ah okay i, I wasn't aware of that so thank you perhaps more points that the investors raised which i will also assemble and send to your team so stricter enforcement of regulations and penalties including on directors and officers of companies failing to comply with the regulations this comes back to the issue of several of these companies are releasing earnings warnings the profit warnings as they call them which are really not profit warnings so some of them don't even make a profit some of these warnings are coming in very late in the earnings calendar. So like if you're releasing a profit warning for something that you're going to release next week, it doesn't really make practical sense. You should have been aware of this a bit earlier and then to be able to release. So we need to see a bit more stricter enforcement of some of these regulations. And especially some of these companies which are also reporting very late, we need to hear a bit more action from some of them. There was an issue of and, and, and I haven't heard much of it. Kenjin was supposed to have issued a uh, profit warning. They did not last year. There was a little bit of back and forth in the newspapers uh, with the regulators and all. I know like maybe it's not within the jurisdiction of the NSE, but, but perhaps since you're very much in touch with the CMA, if there is a, a violation, the NSE needs to raise it and then to be able to punish some of these companies. I know they will object to that, but I think some of the directors need to be held to account in terms of this. And finally, I think that uh, I'll allow you to respond to the question. So finally, with the issue of reinstatement of tax benefits for listing that were available until 2020, so they were removed, it would be very important for some of these companies, especially to encourage listing, to bring up some of the benefits that we had before so that we can be able to encourage our listing. So, and perhaps also, I think you've been trying to encourage uh, governments uh, to list some of the, their entities. The challenge we have, especially in the market presently with some of the companies that the government is a uh, major shareholder in is mostly that they're not, in my estimation, sometimes really forthcoming with information to investors. So I think that's something that needs to be worked on. Uh, they're not doing well as companies, say Canary and its own. I think that's an example of a company that's not doing very well, even though it's government owned. So there's a bit of risk there in the market. So those are the five points that investors, at least a small group that we are in, have consistently and uh, raised issues about. To recap the costs, 
removing odd lots requirements, requiring annex calendars, strict enforcement of regulations and penalties, and finally, the statement of tax benefits for listing. Would you want to comment on any of those? I think that's good feedback. We've had discussions around those. The only one I think which we have not like based on is on the incentives. So we've got the public open listing regulations out of exposure. So this is the time we can actually make comments to see how else we can incentivize the listing framework and be able then to, to address any or to add or to put in place any areas that we feel will, will provide high incentives. We regularly, as part of our feedback to the budget process and also to the finance bill post budget reading, always look at the incentive structures for the market. We feel that it's detrimental. We've been able to have those repealed. Examples like capital gains tax, the revenue tax, and a number of others. And we've also been able to bring in certain tax incentives, for instance, infrastructure bonds raised on the market for the REITs market, et cetera. So we continuously look at that and uh, definitely be finding ways that we improve that further. Uh, I think all the other points you've raised are good. Let us uh, get them formally and be able to take actions on those. All right, I'll draft a letter, I think, on behalf of the investors on this. So you can see Kevin has a point to raise. Kevin. Thanks, Erica. Mine is, is just brief uh, in line with the guidance circular calendar for the equity space. I think with Jeff, with a seat at the table, I think it would also be helpful that if you're going to benchmark ourselves against some of these markets that we want to emulate, and Jeff mentioned, I think, Bangladesh, and I mentioned Pakistan, and there's also Vietnam and some of these Asian uh, countries. In terms of the debt market, I don't know what, uh, Jeff, you'd add to this in terms of we also need sort of a guidance, a circular for the year. We do know right now that if we are talking about IFPs, the government traditionally has been issuing two IFPs, uh, one earlier on in the year and one that brokers call a Christmas gift. Though we've seen in a couple of years that they've also issued three. So from an, a bonds investor or a bonds trade, we, we don't have visibility as to which papers the government will be uh, floating for the year. I think some other developed markets have these. I think uh, maybe Jeff, you could help us with a seat the high at the table, not really lobby, but just also with CBK as, 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 and Treasury as stakeholders also is just to have a guidance as I don't know how viable this on, on, on maybe in the, in 2023 on what 10 years or we already know our deficits and probably how much treasury would be looking to, to tap into the market. Just maybe to get guidance on that as well. How viable is that, Jeff? Kevin, uh, we are aware about the issues calendar. I think I will just engage further with the team there and just find out what the program to come inside is. It's a conversation that, that they have to have with national government issues calendar. That's a good point. We've, uh, I know conversations are being held. Some that will still be enforced. Thanks, Jeff. All right. Uh, I see Felix here. Felix from Trading Room. Karibu, Felix. Thanks a lot, Eric. It's a very interesting conversation that you have today. And looks like Jeff has been here to answer a lot of the heat that has been coming in through. Probably, Jeff, just to mention, I know a lot of times brokers have complained for less support that comes from the, the NSC. The trading members always have not really complain, but they air out their issues. Let, let me put it that way. There, there are a lot of incentives that brokers have even put up to look at an alternative. Speaking of the bond market, what this has really been, a lot of brokers are trying to bring in issues like bond stripping. As guys talk about going digital on the entire bonds trading bit, the volumes are a bit rising, but then also there's a challenge uh, for brokers setting up this because of the regulator. I don't know if the NSC is always in support of this. What's your view of that? 
I think it would be awesome if guys could be able to trade the small lots. Uh, I know you've spoken about it and one of the speakers had also mentioned that we've seen a rise of activity on the retail market. But let's also talk about this. I know we see the trades that come in, but 50 million is not amount that everybody's going to find when you talk about the odd lots on the bond market. How about the NSC and even brokers? I mean, a few brokers have tried this. I think that the challenge still jumps in on the custody of the bond. And that's why a lot of going that way for bond stripping. Is that way the NSC can really jump into this? Would you want to take that? Just in the clarification, uh, when you say bond stripping, Okay, it, it's sort of like a money market for bonds where brokers would jump in, they would buy the bond and then they sell it to the retail market at a smaller costs, uh, probably like a smaller lot. So let's say if I wanted to buy my IFB for the, the minimum requirement and I can buy it and then immediately I want to sell, the broker would actually buy it from me. So it's always like the broker would price them at a little bit of a, a, a juicier value or something that's a little bit lower than what is offered at um, the rate that the bond was offered at. An example is if an AFB is going for 11%, the broker would offer it at 10%. So the broker would be making that little X percentage of the bond. So it's more of a liquidity on the bond market to increase the value. It's sort of like an Emma Kiba. But in this case, the small lots and the small values, it's the broker who's making the money from it. I mean, it's something that even the NEC itself can actually provide the same way that the derivative space has been traded at. The same system can actually still be used for the bonds. I'm stripping. There's a broker that wanted to propose this idea, but when I spoke to one of them, they actually mentioned that the KBA and CMA were not in for this. And also Central Bank brought in a lot of questions regarding the custody of this bit. So I'm just wondering why this has been a challenge. I mean, the, the activity, and, and I really appreciate guys saying that we're seeing bond values, the odd values really jumping in, about 50 million, 10 million trading. But you know, that's not the value that we're going to get on the retail market for everyone. I mean, not everybody has 50 million, not everybody has 1 million. That's really what the entirety of the question involves. Thanks. So ideally, something similar to primary dealership, right? Yeah, that's right. I do a lot of retail trades, a lot. Like, that's my specialty. And it's very right. If you look at the price list today, there's IFB 24, which is 1, 2021 20, to 19, the latest IFB. Either somebody bought it or sold it at 13.6, which is way off market. I agree with Felix. It, when it comes to retail trading, it's an unfair market because it boils down to what you're willing to sell it at. And I've had situations where somebody really needs the money and you tell them a figure because you see, I still have to go to the market and tell someone I have this paper on offer. So I still have to get like a bid. And when I go to this person and tell them, this is what I have on offer, the price is way off market. So I, I agree with Felix. So how can we sort this out? Because when you look at some of the pricing, it's crazy off market. Can I speak to that a bit, Eric? Yes. Uh, okay. All right. I've also been doing, and I still do a bit of uh, retail trading on the bonds market. And for me, on that score, there really isn't any, any magic to it. Anytime you're buying or selling an asset, your, your ability to get as close as possible to the, the true price of the asset is really a, a numbers game. If you don't have an, a, quite a number of buyers and sellers trading, you'll always have volatility in asset prices and you'll always have uh, situations where the prices go off work, as, as you said. And in that market right now, it's not unusual to see yields going spreads of 
50, 100 basis points away from where the yield curve is. And this is where uh, sometimes I look at with our history with nostalgia, with what guys like Murigo and, and Mbaru did for this market as brokers. I think they did quite a bit of investor education, especially between 2000 and 2005, six there, thereabouts. And we saw quite a takeoff equities trading and uh, obviously it was supported by some macro issues, you know, Kibaki came in and the monetary policy was a little different and this, that. However, that's been one of the missing issues. I think there is quite a bit of interest from the retail sector on bonds. It's just that they really don't know how to go about it. And, and one thing that I've learned in, in this business, in the financial services businesses, in fact, my first stint in financial services was insurance sales. And I was told that if financial services are sold, they're not bought. So it's up to us brokers, uh, to go out there and popularize this bonds story a lot more. We got put in the work because in any case, it's us who are making the money. And that's how we create a more vibrant retail bond trading market. And that's how we get better prices for our customers uh, in the long run. That's how I would look at it. Thanks. Can I say something about that? Do, do you know how I sign off my cover letters? Because you see, you have to have a cover letter if you're doing a retail bond trade. You say... Yes you need to sell it at the best prevailing market price. So 13.6 is way off where the implied yield is. It's really sad that for retail investors, they get really good. And, and I, I agree with you. Yeah, it's a market sentiment. Because you see, this person has 500K, a million. So I, I need to get a proper price where I'm buying this. But I, I find it's really unfair. So the best way would be to probably have a different market. I don't know how hard that is for retail traders. For, for the people who have 500,000, a million, 2 million, then you, you can't uh, put them in the same pool as somebody who does 300 million trade. It's I think the dynamic will be the same because, because so look at this scenario. So you have a different market altogether. You've got your infrastructure expense that you've set up. Uh, to support this trading and whatnot. And then you still go there and you find that in the market, only two or three buyers are willing to match you. And each, of them, each one of them is giving you a uh, hundred beeps, you know, spread from where the yield curve is. Don't you think that that will be the same problem? I, I think it's a number of games. You need, you need good demand at any one time when you're selling so that you can get as close as possible the a correct asset price. And for me, and, and, and of course, that's a liquidity issue. And, and it's the same for all asset markets, whether you're talking about real estate, whether you're talking about bond trading, shares trading, it's really a numbers game. If there are more guys willing to buy that bond, the more likely you are to get a, a, a fair price. We have this terminology, we call it a buyer's market, a seller's market. When it's a buyer's market, it's because there are few buyers in the market. When it's a seller's market, it's because there are so many buyers in the market. So if we want to make it a liquid market, we just need to push a lot more retail to these products so that they can know that they exist and they'll be able to participate. And by the way, us as ABC Capital, we've been able to do that. We're able to, for if you're selling 1 million, 2 million children, we've always got some retailers on the other side who are always really looking to get into bonds. We sell our, our secondary market deals much stronger than we do our primary market deals. 
So that way we are able to get good deals, good exits for some of our, for our clients. We'll definitely have a separate discussion soon, especially in the bonds market. I see a very hot discussion going on just below our, our pinned tweet on this and more. So I think we'll definitely have a follow-up on this. So Gary, George, you're welcome to that next space also. I appreciate the fact that Jeff took time to come to Spaces and to listen in. We appreciate it in the sense of like, we also extended the, uh, invites to the likes of CMA and CDSC and they were unable to make. So it's very welcome that you're coming. Uh, but also since you sit on these boards, we encourage you to encourage them to also come to Spaces in the future. There's a lot of people who are asking like if they could come also and talk to people. They investors just want to air their, they want to see that some of these organizations are also responsive to some of the concerns that they raise, even that they're thinking about them, that they hear them, so that you can also have a better market. This NSC is playing a key role in terms of coming and listening to us, uh, but also we would want the others also to come at the end of the day. Now, over to you. Did you have something to say? Yeah, uh, thank you very much. And hello, everybody. I'll have a go-go. I will surprise many people here by saying that I'm not Kenyan. Even if I'm very active, but the point is that I've started investing in Kenya and particularly in NSC since the 90s. I'm very glad that Joe is there because I just want to explain that from the 90s till now, I think it's clear there is something that is not working on the market. Of course, you have been and you are there and you have also a rising market, rise, rising uh, trading, all this kind of thing, but there is intrinsically something that has changed. And what has changed, in my view, is that the markets and above all, also the NSC, the market and uh, the sovereign, the state has become unpredictable. I will just explain to you one thing. I don't think that in the years 2000, uh, under the Kibaki regime, I don't think it will have come to the government, the, this idea of imposing a capital gain tax. Never, I'm quite sure. And, and this is what I, I think the NSC has to think about that. There is something that has shifted. Politicians are no longer afraid of uh, intervening in the market, capital gain tax, uh, tax, and also price control. So I think there is a dynamic that goes really beyond the trading floor. And I had the impression that 10, uh, 20 years back, even the NSC was able to influence the decision-making process beyond the trading floor. And I think for a frontier market like Kenya, it's very, very important. And as Mokaya put it so rightly, it's not normal in 2022 that investors are struggling just to know when the firms are releasing their results. I think that is mind-boggling. Everything is digital. And even you see some banks who knows, who know every day what they are earning coming in the last week of the earning period to release. So I think there is something that the NSC must be proactive. When I started investing in Kenya, the shilling was at 62. Just look at where it is now. It means that these policies are influencing the dynamic of the market. And the last point also I would say, look at also, you have many listed companies who that who are behaving more as, I would say, a, a ministerial department than a listed firm. The, the role of the NEC is not only to uh, table the fees, but to protect the interests of the shareholders. Geoffrey, if we, if we remove ourselves from the CDS accounts, there is no CDS anymore. There is no uh, stock market. There is no NEC. 
I think it's very important for the NSC to, to intervene and to be proactive. It's not normal that that uh, 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 decision can be made in listed firms that uh, impacts and uh, endanger the interests of shareholders. I will not go give a list of uh, the decision, but uh, for instance, look at KPLC, even the PPA, PPAs which are signed, as long as it is the structure of the contract on the energy in the energy sector, I don't think that KPLC will ever come back to a, a profit. And it's also very important, irrespective of what kind of firm the NSC is dealing with, if they are violating the rule of reporting, NSC must punish them clear. And if those companies are not able to register profit over three or four years, they must be also delisted. So I think we need to bring back the predictability, a kind of predictability in the market because investors and shareholders, they need incentive. For instance, there was the tax withholding on, on foreigners, for instance. I, I understand that it was, the decision was taken during uh, the COVID. After the COVID, I think the NSA must approach the treasury and you remove that. Foreign investors, it's not that because, yes, but they are the backbone of the Kenyan market and the frontiers market and uh, emerging market. So this was really my uh, contribution. We need a very proactive NSA at the policy front and also, I would say, at the economic front. That is my contribution. Thank you. Thanks. We should be winding up. The spaces has been two hours, but I think uh, he raises very important points. To have robust capital markets, the players in the industry need to be held at least to very high accounts. Uh, so like if they're not reporting on time, there should be some level of punishment or at least some, some level of engagement with them to see what exactly can be done in terms of them reporting on time. So if there's a, we need to have a market where most of the companies are in the market, actually good companies so that they can see that there are benefits to actually being uh, on the capital market. So I think that's very important. So I think I want to go to the closing stages. Uh, I know Tim has to leave, so I'll give Tim first to give his closing comments. So Tim. Yes, thanks very much, Eric. Uh, I just wanted to end on a positive note and say it's great that so many people show up on a Friday night to discuss these issues and uh, appreciation also to uh, the NSC CEO for showing up. We really do appreciate it and uh, let's continue the conversation. I'll sign off there. All right. Thank you, Tim. Now it's time for all of you to give some closing remarks and Je Jeff can wind up for us. So I'll start with the, the speakers who just came in. Quick ones from George, Ruben, and he. Quick ones, less than 30 seconds. Tell us what your closing thoughts. Well, mine is, uh, yes, we, we should have a different spaces for bonds, but uh, true, there's a lot of potential. So we need to look into that and see how we can harness it. Thanks. Uh, Ruben, mainly just to say thanks to you, Eric and Mongo team for making this possible. And again, Jeff, thanks for always making time to come and discuss uh, these pertinent issues and looking forward to catching up on how to further enhance the green markets in Kenya. Thank you. Then we have, I uh, think, him and then Felix. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you all. I'm very glad that Geoffrey is with, her, with us here. And I really appreciate that he is interacting with investors and shareholders. I, I just want to insist on the fact that in frontiers market like us, the sovereign, everything the sovereign dies is very important. And I think it is a little bit provocative, but I will advise the NSA to be embedded with that and what they are about to, to do 
that will uh, uh, severely impact the, the market. And as uh, Rama said in his tweet, I think the, the, the deficit is at 8%. How could the economy manage something like that? So I really think that the NSC will be wonder powerful. If it will be very, I would say, will reward investors if they look beyond the trading floor and see really every, uh, the environment. And the current environment in Kenya is not conducive for business. Simply, something has to change. Thank you very much. Thanks. Mind just to say thanks a lot to Eric and the team at Mongo Capital for this space. And thanks, Jeff. Uh, getting you to make time for this was really amazing. Probably you could spread the gospel to other stakeholders in the capital market space. It would be awesome too, if they'd be easily reachable. Yeah, and then just not about talking, it's also about implementing some of these things that we say here so that we don't have an entire two hours on Friday go out to space. Hopefully, we've seen a little bit of guys calling in and like the issue for CDSC, the rates that were, had to be halted because it really didn't go through. I mean, investment banking has always been a bit of growing wealth, not just for the, the brokers and the exchange and also other capital markets stakeholders, but also for the retail market as well. Thank you. All right. Uh, now to our core speakers here. Uh, Derek, what are your closing thoughts today? Thanks. First of all, I'd like to thank everybody who made the time to, to, to be here, especially for everybody else. The direction he was taking, I think that's a very, very important issue that we we, we essentially closed our eyes to. Maybe it's because of the nature of the, the entity we will be taking on if we spoke a little louder, but but I think what needs to be said must be said. I also want to encourage guests to look at the new public listing regs that are coming out. I think they'll form a very important part of discussions going forward. Thanks all. Uh, Kevin. Thanks, Eric. And again, I'll reiterate uh, what everybody has said in terms of it's been an engaging Twitter space. I loved it. And just there's, there are no enemies on these platforms. We all have a symbiotic relationship. Jeff is there because I'm here. I'm here because he's there. We are all and of each other. And I'd end by quoting uh, something I picked from uh, a good friend, Edwin Dande, that uh, talking is a solemn duty. And the more we have these engagements, the more we expect to see our capital markets just take a flight. Thanks, Jeff. I think we are neighbors, uh, 100 meters from each other. We can always take some of these uh, engagements and and just keeping you in check and you're keeping us in check right from our offices. Thanks a lot, Eric. All right, Kevin. Thanks so much. Uh, also, So Jeff, as you can hear, people are appreciative that you took uh, two and a half hours of your time on a Friday night to be here discussing capital markets. So we do really appreciate it. It may sometimes feel like people are antagonistic, but mostly it's because we have the best interests of the capital markets at heart. At the core, people want to engage. They want to talk to their regulators. They want to talk to their capital market leads and to be able to see that their voices are being heard. And that was the core essence of this. So it was a sweet surprise to see you pop in. I, I sent you a text and I also sent a text to your team and I, I, I appreciate that that was enough. I didn't actually do a lot of follow-up. So I was actually very sweetly surprised that you turned up. So very, very encouraging. And we hope for this and more discussions. And there is a good friend of mine who sent me a text and say that we can make this quarterly. I think it can be the Jeff, a state of the union address. So if you want, we can make it quarterly and you can come and report for us perhaps what we've done, accomplished from last time and what you want us to accomplish in the next quarter. Like the earnings calendar can be a very easy one. I can help your team to come up with that's possible. Jeff, now closing thoughts from you, even as we wind up the spaces. Thank you very much. And I think first of all, to say that uh, I'm very happy to have been part of this. I've attended your first space discussion and I really liked it. So I wouldn't 
I've missed this one. I appreciate the, the thoughts, by the way. This was a very good discourse. And I do understand that when you put on the spot sometimes, it's probably the tone, but the spirit was good. And thank you very much for your feedback. And ideally, I liked your topic because it's about, and we are all in this together. We want to get the market up there. We want to get it active and very strong, very strong points. I like the, the discussions from Harvey. Sorry, I didn't have time to respond to that, but I think those points are well taken. And even as we engage with national government, go to actually make the distinction between where the waiters they are, all the ended with us are some of the challenges we face, but that's a good point. And we're going to take those points. So in all, I want to say thank you, Eric. Um, I really, I really appreciate it today. And thanks for your compliments. I can assure you that my team members are here. They've taken some of those notes. And Eric, if you could share those thoughts that you picked on the online, please give it to us. My team, I have a, I have a, I have a new chief business officer. She's from Pete and Wema, who's also very active in, in this kind of platforms. And I believe we have more engagement. And yes, invite us. We'll be happy to have this quarterly uh, so that we should see whether we're making progress and we're facing challenges. And I'll also talk to my other colleagues to tell them to join such discussions. So thank you very much. And thanks for the jetting discussions. And I look forward to meeting you guys next time. Thank you very much. And about the quarterly meeting, you can make it quarterly. No. I, I, I get a word from you. Fine. That's fine. Thank you so much. I think from your team, I've also been engaging with Irungu and also with Mbita. Um, very encouraging discussions along the way with them. So thank you so much for those two and also for you for coming. And there's a really nice discussion that is going on. I would urge all of you to follow up just below the pinned tweets. And there's Ramanyang who's actively engaging in discussions around the corporate bonds and saying a, a lot of thank you also. Uh, so I can see also Ruben is very active there in terms of responding to questions and Edwin Dandy also. So they should be very, very grateful that they joined too. So thank you for the speakers, for the audience. This has been a huge audience on a Friday evening, around 200 plus joined in at one point. So thank you for coming to Spaces First of All and thank you for engaging. So we are open to receiving all the suggestions that you have. If you still have points that you want to raise, just DM us or you can drop us an email at hello at mongocapital.com. We'll compile all those thoughts and be able to now forward them to the NSC to be acted upon. Uh, I had invited the CDSC chair, wasn't able to join us uh, because of some previous engagements, but hopefully soon we'll be able to host them also. We'll definitely have more spaces on the markets. Thank you so much.